It's good to be with you guys tonight. Uh, my name is Sarah Stevens, and I'm the Director of Ministries, and I'm excited to get to jump in the Word with you guys. And I'm going to be in the book of Colossians. If you want to open up your Bibles there, I'm going to be in the first chapter of Colossians. And if you are taking notes, you can title those notes, Holding Out for Joy. And I'm going to pray and ask the Lord for his help, and then we're going to dive right into it, okay? Lord Jesus, Father, I thank you so much for the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, I thank you. Just like when you stood in the pulpit to teach, you said the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news. And Father God, I ask for that same Spirit that anointed Jesus, that anointed Peter, that has anointed countless men and women to come now and anoint me and equip me and anoint my lips, Lord, that your word would go forth, God, that it would do the work, that it would produce a harvest, that you would meet your people exactly where they are tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so Colossians chapter 1, I am going to be starting in verse 9, and I'm going to read from the Message Bible tonight. So here we go. It says, as you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. We pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul. Not the grim strength. Everybody say grim strength. Grim strength. You sound good. Not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength. Everybody say glory strength. Glory strength. You sounded better that time. The glory strength that God gives. It is the strength that endures the unendurable. It spills over into joy. Thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. So this, uh, this message tonight actually came to me after I got home from a recent camping trip. My son is a Boy Scout. I've shared with you guys that, you know, this has been a bit of a change for me because I grew up not roughing it very much. My idea of roughing it is when you go to the hotel and there's no robe in the closet. You know, that's roughing it to me. And so my, my husband's an outdoorsman. My son is now in Scouts with him and my daughter's in Girl Scouts. And I was getting left behind. And so I decided I had to get in on this action. And so my very first camping trip, we went to Huntsville State Park. And I had never put the tent up in my life. And my husband called me. He said, Sarah, I'm tied up in traffic. You know, I need you to get to the park, put the tent together. It's super easy. And I will meet you there. Because if you wait for me to get there, it's going to be dark and it's going to get hard. So I'm like, you know what? I, I am an American woman. I can do this. You know what I'm saying? And so I get in that car and I take those kids and we get to Huntsville State Park and I'm one of the last people to get there. And I think to myself, I can't believe no one's taken this waterfront site. You know, I'm from the woodlands. You pay extra for waterfront property, right? And I'm like, these people don't know how to camp. This is my first time, but I know a value when I see it. So I pitch our tent right here in this primo lake spot. And I start putting the tent up, upside down. And God bless this, this family that was beside me. They saw me and my tent was like, like it, didn't, it looked like a V instead of a tent, right? And they were like, uh, I think you might want to turn that around. And they helped me get it up. 
But, you know, got into the tent that night, and I learned two valuable lessons. One, nobody told me you're supposed to sweep the debris out of your tent site. I pitched our tent on approximately 1,000 gumballs. <laughs> so we lay down to sleep, and it's like, ah, 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 And then I realized as I'm laying in my, in my tent that I'm starting to slide ever so slowly. I look at my husband and we're both headed for the door. Our kids are rolled up in the bottom of the tent. And I realized the reason nobody's taken this site is it's at a 45 degree angle right into the lake, you know? And my husband's like, tell me the tent door's closed or the children are going to end up in the water, you know? And so I make sure the tent's closed and we get through just this, this restless night. Well, about one in the morning, I hear something. And it's a sound I've never heard before. And it sounds really close. And I wake my husband up and I'm like, do you hear that? He's like, we're outside. This is part of roughing it. This is the beauty of being it. I said, this is not beautiful. This is scary. <laughs> you know, what is that noise? He's like, it's more afraid of you than you are of it. I said, I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm in its house. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't going to work. Turns out the next morning we get up, we're a little bit slow moving because, you know, I've slept on rocks and gumballs and everything else, and I see an alligator swim within five feet of my tent site. And I said, it's more afraid of it than I am of it? Oh, no, 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 Todd. And that, we actually heard alligator mating calls all night long. <laughs> and you know what a tent is to an alligator? Candy wrapping. That is what a tent is to an alligator. I looked and smelled delicious to it. And so that was my first camping experience. And I got home from that camping experience. And I was like, Lord, I've got to encourage myself in the word. I am more exhausted going to work on Monday morning than I was when I left on Friday because I have basically done nothing but survive for the last 48 hours. And keeping my children alive, you know what I mean? It's like taking your kids to the pool. That is not relaxing to me. I'm on drown watch the entire time I'm at the pool. And so I was in the Word and I was in Colossians, and I, I realized that sometimes life feels like, you get in these seasons of life where you feel like your only rest is on a pile of gumballs and rocks. Where, where you're in this season where it's, there's a hardness and there's a, the assignment that God has for your life is an exhausting prospect. You feel like, how am I gonna get through the next day? And how am I gonna get through the next day? And it will stay exhausting until you realize that there is strength and joy set aside for you to do the assignment he has on your life. Yes. You know, you're in a hard season tonight, perhaps. And it sits here and you're like, I don't want to walk away from God. I still love God. This is not whether or not you love God. This is that you're honestly sitting there and you're like, I don't want to walk away from what God has for me, but I don't know that I can go on. It's like you're at the corner of I can't give up and I can't go on. Have you ever been there? I am at the corner of I can't give up and I don't know how I'm going to go on. And when you stand there and you have those seasons in life, I want to encourage you with this word like I was encouraged just a few weeks ago because I found myself at that exact same corner. God, I love you. I know you've got this call on my life. I know you've given me these children to raise. God, I know that this relationship is from you. Lord, I know that this opportunity is directly from your hand, but I am at the corner of I can't give up and I can't go on. And without you, I'm not going to be able to leave this corner tonight. 
And so the Paul's message to the church in Colossians, in the epistle Colossians, is to encourage them where they are. And so if you're taking notes, we're going to break it up into three points. And the first one is the work. The first one is the work. Everyone in this room has an assignment on your life. Mark Twain said it this way. He said, the two greatest days of your entire life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. Every single person in this room. And this, this miracle of salvation is not just that your destination changes from hell to heaven. A lot of people think that's the miracle of salvation. And that is significant, my friends. The miracle of salvation is that your heart's desires change. Isn't that crazy that your will second, all of a sudden becomes secondary to what God has for you? That's the miracle of Jesus Christ. That's the miracle of the cross because who has the power to change the human heart? I can't change my heart on my own. I can't change what I want on my own. I have to ask the Lord and Jesus Christ for help to change my heart. That's why he says in Ezekiel, I will take out your heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Yes. That takes a miraculous transformation that can only come from the throne of grace. And so you have this work. Everyone in this room has this assignment. Ephesians 2.10, I love this verse. It's like tattooed in my mind and in my heart. It says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So if you're sitting here and you're like, I'm not sure I, I believe in that whole God has an assignment for my life. I'm not sure that that applies to everyone. I, I'm here to convince you that it does. Ephesians 2.10 says that you are not only God's workmanship, he has crafted you and finally gifted you and given you certain abilities and talents, not just to have them for having them's sake, but because he's prepared works for you, only you to do, works that only Terry and Pamela Hahn can do. That the planet needed Terry and Pam, and so God put Terry and Pam on the planet to do the works he's created them to do. He put Sarah Stevens on the planet because he had a job or an assignment that Sarah Stevens had to do, and so he had to gift her and ta give her talents to do them because the kingdom of heaven needed her at this time in this season. You can fill your name in that blank, and Ephesians 2.10 applies to you. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's prepared in advance for you to do. I have two kids. They're eight and ten, and I'm a mean mom because I make them do chores. You know? And these are, these are chores like I make them take the trash out. I know it's crazy, isn't it? I make them make their bed. I make them sort the laundry. Now that's the one where we have weeping and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> where we have to sort the laundry. They're like, who gets all these clothes dirty? I said, you caught me. I've been wearing your clothes. You caught me. And I make them do these chores, and I'll never forget my sweet son. He was innocent as could be. He wasn't sassing me at all. He, he came up to me with these big eyes. He was in the middle of sorting clothes, and he said, Mom, Avery and I won't always live here. And I'm thinking to myself, praise the Lord. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Name it, claim it, brother. So no, he says, Mom, Avery, and I, Avery and I will not always live here. I said, that is true. He said, who is going to do all your work for you when we're gone? He was honest. He was as sincere as a heart attack. Who was going to do all this work for you when you were gone? 
And I laughed and I laughed and I cried and I rolled on the floor and I laughed some more. And when I finally could compose myself, it occurred to me that my children were under the impression that the reason I gave them chores was because I was depending on them to work and do that. Like, that laundry's not gonna get sorted unless I use some child labor, right? You know, 38 years on the planet, I don't know how I'm gonna separate the whites. Thank God I got an eight-year-old. No, my, my son was under the impression, my daughter was under the impression that unless they worked, it wasn't gonna get done. And sometimes you and I are under the same impression when it comes to God. We think that the season that we are in, the task that God has given us, it feels like a chore. And you feel like God is depending on you instead of God is preparing you for what he has next for you. I'm sitting there, my kids, I don't need them to separate the whites, but one day my son will move out of my house and he needs to know you don't wash a red sweater with white socks. I am preparing him for that next season. In the same way, you and I, sometimes when God gives us a task, when he gives us an assignment, it feels like a chore. And it feels like, gosh, God, I don't, I don't feel comfortable in this. This is grating to me. This is annoying to me. And I want to encourage you, don't run from what God has for you because you will never be able to stop moving. Once you start running from what God has for you, you will never stop running. Hold on to it. Say, God, I know that you're preparing me for what's next. God, I know that you are a God of order, that my feet are shod with the gospel of peace, and this step leads to the next step that leads to the next step. And I don't particularly like those laundry sorting seasons, or I don't, I don't particularly like those make the bed, take out the trash seasons, but how many of you know they are completely necessary? That's right. They are completely necessary. And so the work is not a four-letter word. It isn't a bad thing. The work is to prepare you for the good thing that God has for you. So now that we know we have work, there comes this strength, this promise of strength that we just read in the scripture. Because work is work. It's going to require effort. And so Paul, when he writes, he says, I'm praying that as you learn how God works, you'll be better able to do your work. And I'm praying that you would have strength. And there's like a fork in the road when it comes to strength. You can have the grim, teeth-gritting strength, or you can have the glory God-infused strength. There's a fork in the road. And this is where a lot of people, they accept the assignment that God has for them. And they know it is in preparation for other things. But then when it comes to how am I going to be strengthened through this, they take the teeth-gritting route instead of the glory-infused route. You know, Todd and I went to Big Bend over Thanksgiving. Yes, I'm crazy. Like, why am I going to the wilderness to unwind? You know, you go to the wilderness basically to survive and thank God that forebears have created running water and electricity. But you go back to the wilderness, and and the Big Bend is in the Chisos Mountains in far west Texas. It's right there on the border of Mexico and Texas, where the, the Rio Grande makes this Big Bend. And we were there, and we pulled up. You can't order your campsites in advance. It's first come, first serve. And when we got there, they had no campsites in the entire park. 
because there was an extremely large amount of bear and mountain lion activity. Okay, my husband didn't tell me that when we were in the woodlands. The park ranger had to tell me that when, when I'm 12 hours from home and there's no Motel 8. You know, if, if a tent is a candy wrapper to an alligator, I don't even want to think what a tent is to a bear, you know? So we end up camping in the Terlingua Desert and we, we go into the park and we decide we're gonna hike the Chisos Basin, which it's absolutely breathtaking. If you, haven't, if you haven't gone, go. And apparently there's a lodge there so you don't have to risk life and limb, you know, like us, you can go and have a relaxing time. But we got on this trail and then there's a two mile family hike and then there's like a 20 mile professional hike. And so I'm like, we can do two miles, you know what I mean? I can do two miles, and I bought really cute hiking clothes from REI, and I matched, because if they found my body, I wanted to make sure I looked good, you know, like in the, you know, Woodlands Woman Found in Chisos Mountains, I wanted to make sure I looked good, you know, for the caption. And so I had my, all my outfit on, and we start on this path, and for a bit, the paths overlapped each other. And then at some point, there's a fork, and you either go 20 miles or you go two miles. Well, we see a lot of families starting off. You know, we're all doing our hiking thing. We're all enjoying the, the view. We're all looking for bear and mountain lion, you know, being aware of that. Because the park ranger's like, don't let your kids run ahead of you. Mountain lions are predators. They'll go for what they feel like is the weakest link. So you better believe. I was like, everybody together, everybody together. <laughs> Isn't this fun? Everybody together, pleading the blood of Jesus the whole time. And so we're, we're on this hike, and the terrain starts to get steeper and steeper and steeper. And I see fewer and fewer families until there's nobody else on the trail but us. And I'm, I'm looking at my husband, and I said, hey, listen, I'm going to let you in on a secret. Um, I didn't really think I was going to hike in these clothes, <laughs> number one. Mama's not got 20 miles in the tank. You know, I was, like, feeling good about the two miles Todd, I'm here to tell you, I don't have 20 miles. I can't take two children 20 miles into the Chisos Mountains. Like, that's not, in, that's not in the cards. And you and I, sometimes we get in this season where we, we feel like our, our back is up against a mountain. And we think we can just grit our teeth and get through it. But the reality is, it doesn't matter how hard I gritted my teeth, there was no way I could get 20 miles around that that basin. It just wasn't in, in the cards. And so my husband said, stay here with the kids. I'm going to go out ahead. I can move faster without you guys. And I'm going to see if I can see where we are, if I can get high ground and get a vantage point and make sure that we, we can recalibrate, get back on the trail, or make sure we're headed in the right direction. And it was the longest 10 minutes of my life. Because then you start, you know, thinking, oh my gosh, what if he doesn't come back? Well, the life insurance is paid. That's good. You know? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm the only one who thinks about that stuff, right? Sure. But no, I'm sitting there and I'm just, the kids are together and he comes back and he said, Sarah, we're, we're fine. We just got to make this 45 degree angle, angle cut here towards the sun and we're going to be fine. We're going to end up right back on the trail. We're good. And in that moment, I had confidence. It was like I had renewed strength because someone had gone before me and said, yeah, this is, you're, on the right, you're on the right track. If you'll just keep going this way, you're going to go and end up where you need to go. 
and it's like I had new life. And it wasn't that I gritted my teeth and got that abundance of strength, it's that I called on someone who was a more experienced hiker to go and make sure, hey, are we doing the right thing? Are we on the right path? And when he said, yeah, we're good to go, I'd follow him into anything. You know, there's a verse in Deuteronomy. It says the Lord, Deuteronomy 31.8, it says the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you. He will not forsake you. Do not be dismayed. God-infused strength means that you call on the Father and you say, I need you. That is the sweetest sound to God's ears when you say, I need you. God, I don't have it in me. I can't summon it of my own will. I am telling you right now, God, I need you to strengthen me. Go before me, God. And he is there. He is ready. He is willing. He is able. And when you call out to God like that, you're in great company. The man who wrote most of the New Testament planted churches more than any other disciple. He, in 2 Corinthians, said, God, I am weak. And Christ said back to him, my power is perfected in your weakness. <laughs> and so when you get to that place where you're not on a 20-mile hike, but you're in the, at a crossroads of a relationship and you don't know what you're going to do, you're, in a, you're at parenting at a whole new level. You, you thought you knew how to parent, and then your child changed overnight. And you're like, Lord, I got nothing. <laughs> you got to help me here, Jesus. I need a whole new skill set right now. I need parenting 2.0 tonight. Or maybe you're, a, you're in a career, and you thought, well, this is what I've always thought I would do to earn my living. But the economy's changed. Your, your mountain can look different than the person sitting next to you, but I'm here to tell you, do not grit your teeth to get through it. Call on God. Amen. And that God-infused strength, that God-infused strength will make all the difference. It it's, tells us in the Word, it says the God-infused strength causes you to endure the unendurable. You, I've heard your testimonies. And sometimes I, I listen to your testimonies and I'm like, how did you get through that? And they always say, but God. But God, I don't know how I got through that, Sarah, but God, but God. You don't know your full potential until you've called on God. <laughs> and that leads me to my last point, that God-infused strength is the joy the joy comes at the end. That's why this, the title tonight is Hold Out for the Joy. A lot of people, they're like, okay, this is the assignment God has for me. I'm, I'm receiving that assignment. They even get past don't grit your teeth, don't, don't uh, ask for that God-infused strength. But if you will walk it out all the way to the end, there is a joy that comes from doing what you know God has called you to do and doing it in the power of his strength. The scripture says, but the glory strength God gives, it is a strength that endures the unendurable. It spills over into joy, thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. Hold out for the joy, friend. Yeah. Hold out for the joy. You know, I'm in a season with my parenting right now that I, I had a new experience about two weeks ago. I got a knock on the door, and I opened the door, and it was a little boy, and he said, hi. And I said, well, hi. He said, can Avery come out and play? And I was like, don't you mean Owen? 
you know, and his, I thought he was a friend of Owen's, and he asked Avery to go to the park, and it was really sweet, and I said, oh, well, we're having dinner, but, you know, maybe after dinner, and so I'm, I'm talking to the kids at dinner, my husband's there, and I said, so, so this, this young man, this Seth, came over and, and asked if, if you guys could go to the park, and Avery said, oh, Seth from the bus, we met a couple days ago, and I'm like, wait, wait, what, what, there's a bus, there's a Seth from the bus? You know, and my mind is like, I didn't think we'd be here today. You know, like I'm not prepared. I have not read enough Dobson books to get us to where we are today. And my eight-year-old is ecstatic because he thinks he's pretty cool that a fifth grader is asking him to the park to play. He has no idea he wasn't invited. But he's just like, hey, I'm in. We can go to the park. I'm like, yes, you're all going to the park. This is, yes, everybody's going to the park. It's going to be a great day. So I let Avery and Owen go to the park. I'm finishing up the dishes. And like any self-respecting mother, I got on my bike and hid in the bushes and watched them play. (laughs) True story. I looked like that that lady from The Wizard of Oz. I have a basket on my bike and everything. I'm like, Seth, I'll get you and your little dog too. You know? My husband's sitting at home praying for us. He's like, girl, they're going to call the cops on you. You know what I mean? So I, I sat in the bushes and, you know, watched them play. And it was all very fun. You know, everybody's just swinging on swings and doing things that 10 and 11-year-olds do, right? It's all innocent. But I realized, I was like, wow, God, I'm on the edge of a pool and the water's about to get real deep, real fast. And there comes this point where it's like, God, you tell me in the scripture, in Proverbs 31, that her children will arise and call her blessed. I'm here to tell you I'm not there today. (laughs) I got a little bit more time before my children arise and call me blessed. But I am holding out for it. I am holding out for the joy. I am holding out for the season that, that I know the fruition of which is my reward. It's sort of like Jesus said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He didn't turn away from his assignment. There's no way he could have fulfilled it in his own strength. But for the joy set before him, he was able to walk through it. I want to encourage you tonight. Hold out for the joy. Hold out for the joy. It's worth it. Psychology Today says this. It says, happiness is external. It is dependent on situations, events, people, places, things, and thoughts. Psychology Today. It says joy is internal. It wells up inside you, splashing out on the ridiculous circumstances you sometimes find yourselves in. Well, way before there was Psychology Today, (laughs) there was a psalmist. And he said it this way. In Psalms 1611b, it says, God, you Fill me with joy when I am with you. That's the promise. That's what we hold out for. A lot of folks um, try to reverse engineer it. They, They make joy their pursuit because they're afraid of the work and because they they, want, they don't want to call on God for help or they don't know to call on God for help. And joy evades them. Or they get so locked into the work and so locked into the strength that they don't hold out for the joy. I want to encourage you. Joy is your promise. And the psalmist says, you fill me with joy, God, when I spend time with you. 
So if you're in a place where you're like, God, I'm at the corner of I don't know if I can go on and I certainly can't give up, get in his presence. Get in his presence in that moment and he will give you the perspective that you need and the joy that you need to be able to take the next step. So will you stand with me tonight? The work, the strength, the joy. Life is best lived in that sequence and fulfillment is found in that sequence. I want to pray tonight the the scripture that I read in Colossians. I want to pray it as a benediction over you. I want to just pray it over you that no matter the season you're in, whether you're you're in a season of God, I'm, the assignment you have for me is dawning on me. Or maybe you're in the middle of your assignment and you're calling out for strength. Or maybe you're in the midst of your assignment and you've called out for God and you're like, Lord, I just need a little bit of joy to get me through the next step and the next day. Wherever you are in that sequence, I want to pray this over you. So will you lift your hands with me and bow your heads and let me just pronounce this blessing on you. Lord, I thank you for every single person in this room. God, I thank you that as they learn more and more how you work, they will learn how to do their work. Father God, I pray that you will strengthen them. God, that they will have strength to stick it out over the long haul. That they would have endurance for this season that they are in. God, that they would not have the grim strength of gritting their teeth, but God, that they would have glory strength that you alone can give. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, Father, that they would have joy. God, that this glory strength would lead to joy. And that, Father, I thank you right now in advance. God, that you are making them strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that they have, that you have in store for them. Father, I bless them in the name of Jesus. God, we receive your word. God, let your word go to work in every life and everyone that is within my hearing tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So the team is going to lead us in some worship. Why don't we sing it one time through together? The altar is open. You can come meet with your Savior here. And I just want to bless you, and we will see you again on Sunday.